You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning, church. Derek was mistaken. I've never promised to be done at 11. Brevity in preaching is never a promise I'm going to make, so we'll just get that out of the way. But but there's a perfect application. Football season is here, and we're talking about idolatry, so perfectly set up for me. I didn't even have to do anything. Thursday night, Saturday... Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night, it can, it can take up your whole day or your whole week. So, <clears throat> Let's pray as we open God's Word, and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 9 and continue on uh, looking at God bringing glory to Himself, making Himself known to both Israel and the Egyptians, and proclaiming His name in all the earth. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in heaven. Thank you that you are sovereign, that you providentially work out all things for your purposes, for your plan, for our good. Especially those of us who love you, Lord, you you work things out for our benefit. And even if we don't understand, um, it's because we can't see everything. We are limited. You are not. You inhabit eternity, the scriptures say. You are the one who's high and lifted up. There is no one like you. You are holy. You are perfect in every way. And we've been learning that and we've been growing in that, Lord. Please continue to show us more of who you are as we open your scriptures this morning. As we worship you, Lord, help us to know more of your heart for your people, the sacrifice of your son on the cross, your heart to reconcile us to yourself, the forgiveness of our sins, this great deliverance from sin and from death, and how Exodus, this, this story in Exodus, and this, um, the, the chapters we've been going through so far, Lord, how they speak to that, how they are a, a shadow, a foretaste of what was to come with Jesus on the cross, that you deliver your people, that you make a promise and you keep it. And so, Lord, for all those things, you're worthy of our praise this morning. Holy Spirit, please help us to understand as we uh, open your word. Help me to be clear, Father. Uh, I pray that only what you want to say um, leaves this pulpit and goes into the hearts of your people. Father, we uh, submit ourselves to you right now. Um, There's heaviness in many of our hearts right now with things going on in this world, and we ask that you would help us. Encourage us. Equip us, Lord, for the work. We are never on pause. We are never to stand still, Lord. We're to be on mission. Help us, Lord, in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 9, and we're going to be moving into the sixth and seventh plague. These are uh, God's judgments on on, on Egypt. 
Um, on the gods of Egypt specifically, we've, we've talked about that a little bit. We've gone through five of them already. And these are wounds. These are, these are mighty blows with a god with his outstretched arm and a mighty hand. Right? He is proving who the real god is in a, in a culture, in a, in a world that has a pantheon of gods. There are gods for everything. Right? And we're trying to make that connection personally for us because when we talk about idols and we're looking at the Old Testament, we, we've read through Isaiah and various other chapters and the idols and, and those times were, were more physical. They were more, um, tangible. They were carved out of wood, carved out of metal and they were, they were put upon a pedestal. They were put in a, a prominent place in the homes and they were bowed down to and they were worshiped to and, and we, we don't necessarily do that in our culture in the same way, but there are plenty of things and there are plenty of ways that we do um, allow idolatry into our lives. And so last week we, we talked about that a little bit, and I had some really interesting conversations and some good reports from some really um, uh, good applications from some of you, that you went home and you looked at these idols that we're to be putting away, we're to be knocking down, that God has already shown us they are false, they are lies in our hands. Right? And, and instead of st- exchanging God's truth for a lie, we want to we be solidly surrendering to and living based on what God says is true, not what the world says. And so we want to put those things away. And some of you were, were putting those things away. You were recognizing things that you had allowed to kind of drift into your life. And we don't even realize it sometimes. Sometimes we think they're good things and we think they're, they're okay and God's fine with it. And I can, I can manage this life of, of, of being holy, right? But also with the secular side to my life, I can straddle the line, I can walk the line, and I'm, I'm okay. And, and we don't realize how it's pulling our hearts away from the worship of the true God. And so some of you were, were uh, sharing some of those stories. And, and I just wanted to, as a way to begin, it's kind of a uh, takeoff from last week. And then as we bridge the gap into the next plague, uh, talk a little bit about... Uh, what that might look like, and even even um, within the story of Exodus itself, we talked last week about livestock. So the the plague was on the livestock, right? So all of the um, horses, the the donkeys, the you know all the herds and all the all the flocks and the herds, and specifically we talked about cattle and how cattle and and the the picture of bulls or or calves were prominent in Egypt as far as the gods. We talked about the apis bull, if you recall, right? And how they were revered and how they were worshipped. And, and there was this whole process of a priest finding this apis bull. And then they would, they would worship this bull. It was a deity to them. And when the bull died, they actually were, were um, embalmed. They were mummified. They had their own sarcophagus. They were, they were buried and there was chapels built over them. And it was this whole thing. And then they had to find the next one. And it was just, how does that happen? And we looked in Romans 1. This is how it happens. Right. We, we saw in Romans what happens to the mind and heart of sinful man, how we exchange, exchange the truth of God for a lie, and that we need to be cautious about that. And this was not primarily just in Egypt. Ancient Near East, and you're looking at some of the other Canaanite gods and some of the other regions. There was the god of El and Baal, and they were also depicted as bulls or calves or oxen at times as well. And so when we move on into the story of Exodus, and we'll come to this again, but just as a kind of a tie-in, do you ever wonder how, how in the world does, does Israel, after they're brought out from slavery, they're, 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 they're redeemed by God, they're delivered from this bondage over 400 years, and they're in the wilderness, and Moses goes up on the mountain to like get the law of God, and he's up there for quite a while, he's having a long conversation, right? he's trying to write all this stuff down, and it's just a lot. 
And he's spending time with the Lord. And what do the people start to do? As, as, they, as we know that this is their kind of character, these stiff-necked people, they start to complain, grumble. Moses is out of the picture. Well, we need a God. We need something, we need something to replace him. And then what, what do they ask Aaron to make? Make a God for us. All right, so this is in Exodus 32. I'm just going to read a section here. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, so they acknowledge what he did, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all of the jewelry that, that God plundered Egypt for and gave to the Israelites, now Aaron is saying, and this is, Aaron is, is Moses' right hand. He's supposed to be the prophet, essentially. Moses is like God and that he's hearing from the Lord. Aaron is to speak. And he's saying, okay, gather all this stuff. So all the people took off all the rings of gold that were in their ears. They brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. You ever wonder why he made a calf? Why not a frog? Why not a fly? Why not one of these other things we were talking about, right? The, the livestock, the cattle, the bull, this, this picture, even in, in um, Canaanite religions and Egypt as well, it was very prominent, fertility, strength. Right, And so, it, it, if you think about it, this was so prevalent in the culture, why did it come to mind for Aaron so quickly to make a calf out of this stuff? Why not something else? Why not anything else besides a, a bull or a calf? Well, it's, it's, it's probably influenced his thinking more than we realize, right? And look what he said. Um, <clears throat> well, he, he made the golden calf, which was an abomination to, to God, and they, so the people said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. How ridiculous and how quickly we can turn from the Lord, right? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And this is the stuff that we kind of skip over. See, Aaron was trying to do both, right? Right? He was trying to appease the mob and appease the people, and, and this made sense. It was in the culture. It was, it was a prominent figure in Egypt, and he'd been, he'd been seeing it for his entire life. And so he makes this calf, and yet he, he still thinks he can have a feast to the Lord. He thinks he can worship the Lord, Yahweh, even with this calf in place. It's, it's synchronism, right? He thinks he can walk the line. And so he has a good intention, even if he's being cowardly toward the people, but he still wants to worship the Lord. And so they rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And so they sat down, they ate, and they drank. They feasted in front of this, this calf, this golden calf. And they rose up to play, meaning they, they were dancing, they were singing around this, they were worshiping this false god. And then we see the Lord telling Moses what's going on. God can see everything. He knows everything that's happening. Right? He doesn't have to wait for the evening news to come on or his news feed or Wi-Fi to connect. And he knows, like, the, go down, these people, I'm, I'm, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses intercedes on their behalf, one of many instances, and God relents. We see Paul bringing this story back to play in 1 Corinthians when he warns us against idolatry. 
So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So that was Exodus 32, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're just bridging the gap here from last week as we move on with these gods. And the purpose here is that we, we hear the word idolatry, we put our... Our mind connects to the idolatry that we've read about or heard about in stories in the Old Testament. There are figures that are carved out of wood and metal. They don't apply to us, and so we put them aside. We put the whole notion aside. This is not us. This is not who I am. This is not for me. This was for someone else. This is antiquated stuff. This is for us. Paul is bridging the gap for us right now. He's bringing it to our, to our minds and our conscience through the Holy Spirit as he writes to the church in Corinth. And so 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and ate all the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. See, it all points to Jesus. It was all about him. It's all about redemption through him. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. This is, these are, this is an example. for We're reading Exodus because it means something to us. God's speaking to us about this. Verse 7, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They forsake their, so quickly they push God aside to make us a God. And they, they're dancing around this thing and, we're, and they're, they're sacrificing food and they're eating and drinking and they're, this is their whole life. This is what they're focused on. Aaron tried to bridge the gap and you can't do that. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. There are consequences. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age, ages has come. And this is key, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You think you're above all of this? You don't think idolatry is a part of your life? Think again. Take heed lest you fall. And this is, a, this is a verse that many of you memorize. You know this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond, what you're, beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. It's interesting. I, I memorized this this passage as well, First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen about temptation. Many of us have. We use it in all the various areas of temptation that we have in our life. A lot of times we use it, men's groups use it for sexual purity. And, and that's, that's fine. But contextually, what is this talking about? Specifically, idolatry. It's that serious. It's that we have to be careful of the temptation of idolatry, of putting our focus, our affection, our worship on anything and everything else but God. He's the only one worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of our glory. We tend to glorify ourselves, glorify other things, other people. We lift them up. We put them high. We, we worship them in our own way by giving them all of our attention, our time, our money. Right? We do these things. And we have to be cautious that we're not tempted to fall in the trap of the world to worship worldly things. 
This is what the Israelites did in the desert. And why? Because Moses wasn't coming down quick enough? Why? Because God hasn't answered our prayers quick enough? Because we have to be patient? We think he's far off? He's not doing the things the way we think he should be doing them? Fine, God, you can stay up on the mountain then, and I'll take care of things myself. Right? That's a, te- that's a temptation to stand in the place of God, to worship self, to worship other things, that things that will not save us. They will entertain us for a time, they will distract us, but they don't save us. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And then he continues on. And this is why it's good not to just read a verse out of context and assume you know what it means, right? We want to read it in context. And so you read the rest of the letter, and he, he starts to talk about all the things that are lawful for us. All things are lawful in verse 23, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but all things build up. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. He's talking about just legalism here. It's okay to participate. We're free to participate in all the good things. Everything in the earth is the Lord's. He's provided these good things for us. Right? It's okay to participate in all those things, but that's not, all, not everything's beneficial for us. And if it hinders our walk, if it hinders other people and our witness to them, then we have to consider, is it really helpful? Is it useful for us? Instead, we're supposed to do everything to the glory of God. And go to verse 31. So whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's our goal. And so when some of you were talking about getting rid of idols in your life, those are good. You, if you know it's a snare and a trap for you and it takes you away from the Lord and distracts you and causes you harm and causes you to sin, then get rid of it. Absolutely. But are, are some things useful tools for us? I mean, can we use them? Maybe someday you come back to it or you find a different rhythm with that thing. You can do that. You have the freedom to do it. If it's not beneficial, put it aside. NFL football. It's a, it's a great tool of entertainment, right? I enjoy football. I'm, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a Steelers fan, so they're, that's who the Broncos are playing today, right? I understand the draw to want to relax and to have fun and to cheer for your team and you know your, t- but if you get to the degree where you know, unless you have some amazing, you know, um, amazing IQ and intellect and you like to stats and figures and you can do all those things without it being a distraction, fine. But some people get so engulfed in it that the, the, their entire life is taken up by their teams and by the season and they don't see their families for a while. Right? And they're memorizing all the, they know more about, you know, the, the, the tight end's background and his college days and all his stats than they do. Oh, when's my kid's birthday? Was that, that was last week, right? They know more about these players sometimes than their own family or the people in their church or their neighbors. Right? It's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to feel comfortable around, especially if you grew up with it. And I, I get it. And there's a, there's a tension. There, there always has been attention, especially when I moved out here, because the time change, right? The games start at 1 p.m. back there, but out here, 11 a.m. And I'm, I see a clock, just like all of you. I get it. But that's why God created DVRs, right? So we thank him for that, and we close our ears, and we go home, and we, we turn it on at the beginning, and everything's good. That's my disclaimer, that we're not getting out of here at 11, right? <laughs> But these things can easily become idols. They're, they're fun. They're, can you use it to glorify God? Absolutely. Can you use it to have a family time? Can you use it to invite friends over? Can you use it for community purposes? Can you use it as a tool for ministry and for, for the sake of your family? Absolutely you can. Can it, be, can it be start to take over your life 
and become an idol? Absolutely you can. You have to determine that. You have to knock those things down. You have to put those things away. You have to determine what is useful and what's not. The fallacy of Christianity sometimes in fundamental realms is that because it's bad for one person or because I perceive it to be bad in general, then it's bad for everyone and no one can do it anymore. You can't go to movies. You can't play a game. You can't do this. The scriptures, we have the freedom to do those things. That's not in God's law. That's not what we're seeing in the scriptures. And so then what does that become? That's a pharisaical mindset. We begin to build layers to protect ourselves from what we're supposed to be doing is just living out of our heart. God's written his law on our heart. We're supposed to have a relationship. We're supposed to navigate this life in relationship with him. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, convicts us, prompts us, guides us, teaches us, equips us, and we go out. And we give God glory. The moment we start taking glory from him, there's a problem. And he's gracious. And he brings us back if we would submit and repent of our sin. And so don't discount idolatry and the nature of it and that the gods of this world are very powerful in the sense they draw us away. We are tempted by them. And so we move into the next uh, couple of plagues and uh, kind of take a look at the comparison. What, what, are, what are some of the gods that God is judging, that the living God is judging here, and, and how can we uh, take away some application from that? So last week we looked at uh, livestock. Let's look at uh, chapter 9, verse 8. I read about the plague of boils. Verse 8, back in Exodus chapter 9. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of, handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So the sixth plague, we move from livestock onto boils. And so far, all of the, the plagues have really been external Right, So none of them were affecting the physical bodies of the Egyptians or of Pharaoh, except for whatever the, the flies and the gnats and the lice and um, those types of things would do, not having water from the Nile. This was very much more personal. And, and we know that once, <clears throat> once you start to get physical ailments, chronic pain, chron- any type of, it really changes the game on you, doesn't it? It really impacts. You can have external things happen. You can have something happen at work or with the relationship or your car breaks down or something takes place externally to you. It's, it's a problematic. It causes a bit of frustration, anger, you know, it can cause you to tempt you to start trying to take control again. It can, it can just throw off your entire day. But ultimately you can leave that behind somewhere, right? You can, you can escape from that. This was right on them in a way that was very personal very physical in the body. When, when physical ailments strike, they innervate the entire person's life. Um, how many of you have had, you know, maybe chronic back pain or you threw your back out or something? It, it impacts everything you do, right? Breathing is harder. Sitting is harder. Getting up is harder. Walking is harder. Concentrating. The pain just kind of floods the body. And so your entire day is that much more difficult. 
And for those who have had chronic pain years and years and years, you know how much it impacts your life, your relationships, your quality of life. And so this one, uh, the boils, which were these, if you're drinking coffee, you can put it down for a minute, these like large pustules, right? These, these inflammatory kind of pustules coming off the skin from head to toe, and then they broke out in the sore, so they actually started to bleed on top of one another. And, and just imagine that happening everywhere, head to toe. And this was, this was truly a miracle in that Moses was instructed to take soot, so take ashes from the furnace, right? From the ovens, from the kiln, take ashes and, and throw it into the air. And just imagine that. We can see the haze from smoke from all these fires happening in Colorado and, and California, all those little particles, and that impacts us, right? We can just imagine just a couple handfuls going up and the entire land of Egypt was covered with it. And then suddenly it just settled on people's skin and on their bodies and covered with boils turning into sores. It was burning, itching, no relief from that. This was very personal. This was, and God didn't give any warning about this one. Um, Pharaoh was not willing to relent. His heart was hardened, and so God went right into the next one. This was an affront to the, the gods. This was a judgment. God was knocking down the gods of health and of disease in Egypt. These gods, a few of the more prominent ones, Sekhmet, Sunu, Isis, these were some of the prominent. Once again, there's a pantheon. There's so many of them, right? But this was an affront to them. This was a judgment on them. See, Egypt, um, if you lived in Egypt at the time, culturally, they, they, re- they really prided themselves. It was of great value to be pure, to be clean, right? So they actually, no matter what status you were in in life, economically, or status, or you know, whatever your title was, everyone had some type of bathing options in their homes. So they had basins and bowls and towels or baths or whatever. And every day they would bathe at least once a day. Typically, they would actually shave their heads so that they wouldn't get lice and other problems. They, they tried to stay as clean and as pure as possible. Part of that was because they knew in the afterlife, if they wanted to participate in some of the spells from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, they would have to be pure and clean and dressed appropriately to do that, even in the afterlife. So there was, this, there was this great value for them to be clean and to be pure. And so they would bathe at least once a day. Before every meal, they would wash at least face, hands, and feet, and they would clean themselves up. They, they, the cosmetic industry in, in Egypt was, was phenomenal. You think we have something going on at the promenade shops or one of the malls or something. The, the cosmetic, it was, they, they, they found ways, oils and ointments and creams to keep their skin soft, to keep things um, intact. They, they used the heavy eyeliner. You've probably seen that in some of the depictions, right? So it's similar to the NFL, this, except for they just did this, right? Part of it was for, for sun and for keeping dust and infection out of the eyes, but the other part of it was just there was, a, there was some type of aesthetic component to it. There was, a, there was a accentuating the eyes for the sake of the afterlife as well. There was all kinds of different myths and mythology going on here. But they would do all of these things um, to keep themselves pure and clean. And even the religious elite, the priests, in order for them to do any of the um, of their rituals, they had to be completely clean and pure. And so now the priests, everyone was covered. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't, they couldn't do any of their rituals. And, and part of the background here, which was interesting, the, the whole idea of the, the ashes, um, this, was a, this was really a... Um, 
This was God just kind of showing them who, who the real God is. The priests would take um, the sacrificial ashes from sacrifices that they would do with animals. They would take the ashes and the priests would throw it into the air. And that would be a great blessing over the people, right? And so now Moses is taking it and now it is a curse to them. And a lot of scholars believe that the kilns, the ovens that were used, uh, where he got the, the soot and everything, was actually the ovens where they, where they baked a lot of the bricks too. And that was, that was part of the Israel burden that they had to carry, right? They were enslaved to make these bricks. They were cursed to make these bricks with bitter slavery. So God was taking all the things that Egypt had done, both to Israel and to him, by worshiping these other gods, and he is essentially putting it back right on them. And it has become a curse to them. All the things that we thought were a blessing really turned to a curse. And this is what judgment is, right? And we can take, we can take some, some solace, some rest in the fact that whatever comes against us, whatever comes, whatever the wicked do in this world against God and against God's people, against the goodness of him in our lives, whatever they do to us, it will eventually become a snare to them. God turns it around. There are plenty of psalms that have these laments of all of the wicked prospering and um, God, where are you? Why, why do they seem to continue to multiply and everything they have is, is fine? They, nothing seems to happen to them, but everything's happening to us. They get to do wrong and harm to me and they don't get punished for it. They get away with it. No one gets away with it. No one. The judgment's coming. And if I, I encourage you to go read some of Revelation chapter eight, chapter sixteen, you'll see that a lot of these um, these plagues that are happening in Egypt right now are also prophetically been given to us through Revelation. They're part of the final judgment that will come upon the earth from God. The boils will come; they're coming back, right? Because these gods still exist. The spirit of these gods is still here. So the judgment will, the final judgment will be similar to this. Water turning to blood. Locusts. The boils, the hail. Darkness. These are all that are also coming to judge the earth for their sin. And we, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been reconciled with God, his righteousness covers you and you are protected from this. But those who do not have Jesus, they will not be able to stand in the day. They can't. The wicked will not stand. They will try. They have tried their whole life to stand, to be God, in a, in a proud, like a proud front to God saying, I will take care of him. I will save myself. I don't need you. When the day that Jesus comes and the judgments come, they will not be able to stand. And we see this with the magicians. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Can you just picture these guys? Right, they were they were on the scene at the beginning. Remember, they were there for the the, the water turned into blood, and they did that one. Remember, this is their secret arts are satanic arts. So Satan is real, and he actually has real power, but it's limited. He was able to copy some of these miracles through these magicians, but only if God allowed him to. They, Satan can't create anything new. He can just copy what God does. And he twists it, right? He makes you think there's just enough truth there. And that's what he does with God's word too. But they were able to turn the water into blood, which why would you do more of that? They couldn't turn the blood back into water because they have no real power, right? They were able to reproduce the frogs. That's a lot of help when there's frogs everywhere. Let's make some more. 
And they were able to do that. But then the gnats came, all the gnats, the lice, and they tried by their secret arts back in chapter 8, but they could not do anything. They couldn't do it. God limited their power. God was just done with this. They're, making, they're doing these little magic tricks. They're, doing this little, they're trying to show that they can do the same thing that the God of Israel is doing. And God's like, okay, you, you did a couple things. I let, I let that go. No more. And they couldn't do it. And what they say, this is truly the finger of God. Now they're learning who the real God is, which is his purpose here. And the flies, they're nowhere on the scene. We don't see them for the flies. They're probably just standing around like, well, what's next, right? We got gnats and flies. I don't know. Now all the livestock died. They're not going to reproduce. Why would they kill more livestock? That doesn't make any sense. They're not even on the scene. We see them again here. And all we see of these magicians, those who claim to have the secret arts, those who claim to do the same things that God can do, those who really represent all of the gods of Egypt because they, they draw in all of their power and they pray to them and they do all their spells to them. What can they do with the boils? They can't even stand. They can't stand what before Moses, the representative of God. God himself to Egypt as, as God had labeled them. They couldn't stand. And you can see them trying to do their things, and they're, they're trying, and they're starting to itch, and they're, they're in pain, right? Where's your God of health now? Where's, where's Sekhmet? Where's Sunu? Where's, where's Isis? They're in your living room. You had lunch with them the other day, and we're talking to them. They didn't say anything back, and they didn't eat anything, and they couldn't, right? they couldn't help you, but you felt better after you kind of looked at them for a while and polished them up and fixed their arm and put super glued their leg back on, and, right? You're, where, where are your gods now, right? God is knocking them down. God is showing that everyone is powerless against him. Pharaoh is powerless, the magicians are powerless. All the gods of Egypt are powerless against them. No one will stand before the living God. And the only reason we as believers will stand is because we have Christ. right? Because of the righteousness of Christ, we will be able to stand. And God encourages us to stand and to withstand the, the onslaught of evil in our day. So when it comes to health and wellness, I talked a little bit about this last week, but as far as an application goes for us, sometimes we don't see it. It's really devious. It's insidious. It's behind the scenes. We don't think we're doing anything wrong. But our health, our wellness, anti-aging society, right, can become an idol, can become a god to us. I talked last week a little bit how the, just the fitness industry globally, it's ridiculous, but we're, we're like a third of the whole the revenue for um, the fitness industry. So that's all the gear, all the retail, all the equipment, all the gyms, all the clubs, all the videos, all that kind of stuff. Over $32 billion a year, the U.S., in revenue brings in just from the fitness industry. Supplements, dietary supplements, those things, that's another $33 billion. Talking well over you know, almost $70 billion just in this one little segment of our economy. Why? Why is this so important to us? Is, it, is fitness bad? Is health bad? No. Are supplements and diets, and are those necessarily bad? Not necessarily, no. They can be useful. Medicine can be a useful tool for us. But medicine and health is a terrible God, a terrible deity that can be consuming for many. And we're in a world now with selfies and with videos and right YouTube and everything, and all people do is watch other people do things all day long. That's what we do. I don't. They're watch. I'm watch. How about I? You watch me watch you for an hour and a half, and I'm going to post that on YouTube, right? And many of them are fitness related, and 
We're trying to find the way. We're trying to, I was a personal trainer for a few years. Um, my first uh, degree, master's degree, was in health and physical education, middle and secondary instruction. So I was going to be a teacher in high schools and middle schools. And, um, and then I was a personal trainer for many years. And, and people would come in and they had all the hopes and, and uh, you know, expectations of what their life were going to look like. And they were going to turn everything around and change everything. Because why? Because they're on a treadmill and they're, they're stretching more and they're using the bench press and they're eating protein bars more than they're eating, you know, the Twinkies from the, the, the convenience store, whatever. And that lasts for a month or two. And there's no sustainability for some people, but a very small percentage. And then they move to the next thing. And most of them, I actually have people tell me, like, I just want a really good scheme, right? Not a plan, not a lifestyle change. Just give me a really good scheme. I actually had that word used. They wanted a quick fix. They wanted to fix themselves quickly. And they wanted to look good. And feel, looking good and feeling good is fine. But how we do it matters, right? We think we can control everything. Just general, going to doctors if you have physical ailments, Medicine is good. Doctors can be helpful. Some doctors cannot be helpful. It just depends on the ones you see. But if medicine and doctors and finding the next treatment and finding the next medication, if that becomes your focus, maybe that's idolatry. And I learned that firsthand. Lyme disease for 20 years, it took 11 years to get a proper diagnosis of this disease. And it, it took multitude of doctors to figure it out. And my greatest disappointments came when I put my greatest hopes in these doctors and in all of their therapies. And when they didn't work for me, then I was crushed, right? Then I went to the next one and the next one. The Lord led me through all of that, but he taught me a lot more about it too. See, I was always strong. I was always in shape. I could could do anything, right? My physical nature, my physical stature, my physical strength was my identity. It was my God. I was self-sufficient in all those things. And God took all of that away. And now I had to rely on him and understand the necessity of weakness to show God's strength so that he's given glory in my life and not me. And that's not to say it wasn't easy and I'm still going through it. I'm on medication right now to be able to function the way that I am. And I'm thankful for that. But I guess what I've learned through it, and I still am learning through it, is... When something pops up, when you know your ankle starts to hurt, your back starts to hurt, something, your blood work doesn't show up right, you have some hormone issues, you've got something going on, right? Maybe you hurt yourself in an athletic um, competition, whatever. Our first inclination as Americans is what? Is, is find the doctor, go to them. It's, it's not a bad thing. And obviously emergencies, you go to the emergency room. But when do we take this to the Lord? When do we ask him, Father, I, I don't feel good. I've got all these problems. I've got, I, don't know where, I don't know what to do. Right? James tells us when we lack wisdom, we're supposed to ask God, and then he gives it to us, and we're not to doubt when we ask. We have faith that he will show us. And so I learned in my journey to stop assuming the next thing and taking the next thing and trying, the next, trying to control everything. Lord, what do you want me to do? Please show me the next thing. Then when the next thing came, I could trust Right, that God was providing, so I could walk down that path without second guessing, without doubting, without fear, without regret. God brought this next thing. He brought this referral. He brought this doctor because I've been praying about. I gave this to Him first. Or what supplements should I be taking to help my body right now? And I know we're not walking down natural grocers or whatever, and there's a big sign 
from God saying, this one right here, right? You need more fish oil, Mike. Oh, that was just the, the guy behind the counter telling me from his, right? I, you, we don't have that little spark of lightning necessarily, but God can provide methods and, and, and paths for us to figure it out. And don't ever assume that this is just about you. Once again, we, we focus so much on self. Most of my journey over 20 years involved a lot of other people. Right? There are things that I learned that I, I wouldn't have known that now I can't pass on to other people if I didn't go through it myself. And I, I went through it. And so I have conversations with people on FaceTime. And um, you know, we have friends and family and people around the country who every, someone knows of someone who has Lyme disease. And so they reach out and I'm able to share my story and pray with them and help them a little bit. And I sat in a room with one of the clinics I went to, which was uh, back in 2013. I sat in a room and we were all in our IV chairs. So it's a giant room of these recliners and we all have our IVs in, right, for, for our IV um, breakfast and lunch, IV brunch, I guess. We were there for three or four hours and doing all that. And you get to know everybody and you get to hear their stories. And there was one gentleman, and I've, maybe I've shared this a, a while back, but... Um, one gentleman who was who was there by himself, and uh, his Lyme disease was all in his brain, and his his back of his skull was actually, inf- I mean, you could actually see the inflammation because it was all kind of grouped right there. Mine was kind of spread all over the place, and and uh, he had so much pain he couldn't think he was on medication twenty four seven just to dull the pain. And he used to be an attorney, he used to have a thriving practice, he had a couple houses, he had all the stuff, right? And he became a believer somewhere along the way. And, uh, and then God kind of took everything away from him. Well, this man, he's, he's passed away now. It, it, it uh, consumed him to, to the degree that he's no longer with us. And that was just a few years ago. Um, relatively young man. And, and uh, he's gone. But we would have these conversations at this clinic. And we were staying at a residence inn. He would come to my hotel room. And we couldn't, we couldn't actually sit up. We were so sick. <laughs> this treatment was so terrible. So we're both laying down. He was on the couch. And, the, and we're trying to have conversations about the Lord. And uh, um, his walk with the Lord was so intimate and so personal. And I thought mine was pretty decent <laughs> going through all of this. And I just, I just, I was just in awe of, of his time and his walk and his words and how he saw life. And, and this man was saying these things through tears. The pain was real. Um, it was not relenting. God was not removing his pain. His parents now had to take care of him. He lost all of his finances, lost his practice, couldn't do anything. And yet he was there and I was there and he impacted my life for a short time in ways that I can't even quantify. I still think about him and what he said and how he lived. And he's no longer here. The, the Lord took him home. His time is done. My time's not done yet. And so am I okay going to another doctor and finding another medication to help so I can stand up here and be with you this morning and preach God's word and share kind of my heart and my journey with some of you? I'll, I'll do that but I'll be strategic about it. I won't try to control it. I won't let it control me. I will ask the Lord, what's next, Father? And I'm doing that right now. This medication's working, but there are many days now I don't feel good. It starts to wear off, and I feel sick all the time, and I get weird pain, and I get migraines and all kinds of stuff, and all the stuff that I used to have starts to flood back in, and then I wonder, should I even be doing this? And I want to give up sometimes. 
But part of my journey was this gentleman, and part of my journey was a lot of other people. And I don't know how I, maybe I impacted their life. And so we asked the Lord, Lord, do you want me to give up? Typically the answer is no. <laughs> right? I'll just give you that one. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you begin to have a conversation. You build a relationship with him. You, you begin to hear from the Lord and understand and recognize his voice. And you get up, and because you've prayed, you've given it to the Lord, you've repented of your sin, you've asked of him what you want to do with your life, then you can trust as you walk throughout your day that you're going to make good decisions. And you're not going to be perfect at it, but God's with you. That's his promise for us. So our health, our wellness, if, if, you're, if you have physical problems, if you have just general discontentment with physical things, these are things to give to the Lord. They become an undercurrent of idolatry if we don't. We don't even realize that we've, we've decided to make a feast to the Lord before a golden calf. We don't, we don't even realize what we're doing. It just seems to happen. That's not pleasing to the Lord. It's not helpful for us. There's consequences to that. Give these things to the Lord. God overcame these false gods of health and disease. We are not sovereign over the human body. God is sovereign. Right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He is our creator. He created us. He knows us intimately. He knows what you need. Ask him. Don't assume and don't take things. And as far as the world goes, when it comes to fitness and health and wellness, we know that, that there are many things out there that are drawing people's attention away from the living God. One thing I just wanted to mention as part of this, there are these... This is, this is the, this is to help us understand the necessity of the church. Yes, we have, we have a building we can gather, but we have to go. And we have to, we have to share what we're learning. We have to share the knowledge who God is with other people. Because they're looking. They want the things that we have here that only God can provide. They're looking for those things. There, there is a whole industry of boutique exercise clubs and gyms that are built around the community component. They, you think of like yoga, we think of, you know, Eastern mysticism and meditation. We think of that more when we think of bad exercise types of things or fitness, but it's all over the place. There's something called soul cycle in Los Angeles, soul cycle. So, and, and the model is simply, it's a, it's a spin class. You get on bikes, you ride bikes, you ride really fast, you sweat all over the place and you leave, right? That's essentially what it is. You get your heart rate up. It's, it's good exercise. But this whole, the whole format is actually built around spirituality. The idea is to increase people's faith in themselves. So what they, they invite you in and it's, it's so, it's so interesting how it mimics or copies, if you will, God's church. So there's a time set for the class. People get dressed and they show up, right? They have some, some pleasantries in the foyer. They have some conversations. How are you? How was your week? Maybe they grab some water. Right? They come in, and there's mantras and, and truisms of the world on the wall for your encouragement instead of Scripture. Right? And then they find their seat. They find their bike. Everyone's got their seat. Right? They find their bike. No, no, that's my bike. I sweat all over that one. I didn't clean it up. It's right here. I can tell you. Right? They find their bike. They get on. And then what's, what's first? Music. And they get music and they get themselves warmed up, right? 
And they're getting their the blood, they're getting their heart rate up, they're getting their and then what do they have up front? They're, they're all like sectioned out kind of like this. They're they're COVID compliant, socially distant bikes all over the room. And then you have a you have a leader, you have a guru, you have a trainer, an instructor who's up front and they've got a little microphone on. Interesting, right? And they're 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 talking to you through the microphone and they're trying to get you encouraged and get you moving and and so the, the music starts going, you're warmed up, and now the instructor is in the lead, and they're telling you, and they're taking you up and down, and they're walking you through um, the workouts. And now we're on a hill, and now we're sprinting, and now we're doing this. And come on, Jerry, keep up, Jerry. Come on, man. Right? And then you reach the, the pinnacle of the, of, the, of the time, and everyone's tired, and you kind of come back down. You have a cool-down session with some more music. Right? You get off your bike. You get some water. You have some, some community out back out in the foyer. You sit down, have a cup of coffee. A lot of these boutiques are right next to coffee shops, so then they go from there to the coffee shop, and they hang out and have some coffee together, and they're commuting. And then they say, we'll see you next week. Right? And what they're doing, though, they're being a lot more intentional about how they're doing these things. They're, ta- they're, they're trying to help people to have their greatest fulfillment in themselves that their physical fitness, that they can achieve essentially some level of enlightenment spiritually by participating in these classes, by working hard, by sweating it out, by being part of a community. Everyone is seeking community. Everyone wants to belong. Everyone wants to actually feel that they matter. Here's Here's one of the parts of their mission statement that they talk about during every class. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your character. Your character becomes your destiny. Your destiny becomes your legacy. But it all starts with who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And by getting on a bike and sweating with 10 other people, you're going to figure that out. And life will be good. It's a copy. It's a mimic. It's, it's, but it's essentially idolatry, and they're worshiping something else. Self, the feeling of exercise. These are real gods that exist today. They're not gone. So be cautious with that. Understand that is what other people are following. They need to hear truth. You like your class? You really enjoy the community, the fellowship? we got, we got a great one here, too. And you don't have to sweat all over the place and... Right. We'll give you a towel if you are a sweater, but that's fine. But you don't have to. Well, we're going to save the, the hail for next week. I'm going to read, read it. I'm going to read this passage, and then we'll think about it, and we'll uh, talk more about it next week. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Remember, this is God's purpose in all of this. And here's an interesting um, glimpse of his mercy in verse 15 that we'll talk about next week. For by now I could have put out 
my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. As God, as God reveals himself and proclaims who he is through this, these acts of power and judgment, he's also proclaiming who he is through acts of mercy. He has patience. He's, he could have wiped them out to begin with quickly, but he hasn't. But for this purpose, verse 16, he tells us again, why are you doing this? Sometimes we ask, why is God doing these things? Why is he being so mean to all these people? Right? We know who these people are. We know that they are sinners. They are unrepentant of it. Pharaoh is the leader of them. They are doing wicked and evil things. They worship other gods. They've enslaved Israel for 400 years. They are not innocent of anything. They are guilty. And God says in verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Pharaoh is still standing proud, trying to stand in the presence of the living God and prove that he can withstand all this stuff. God's not that bad, right? He's not that tough. I remember going to the beach in North Carolina back in early college days and thinking, these waves aren't so bad. These waves aren't so tough, right? And I saw people kind of bodyboarding and stuff, and I'd walk into the wave, and I'm, I'm strong, and I'm tough, and I can stand, and I would stand in front, and the wave would come in, and you just try to take it, right? You just, this is maybe it's a guy thing, but we just proved that we can stand up. And, and this wave came in, and I'm, the first one, yeah, see? And I turn, and I'm like, yeah, see what I'm talking about? And the next one comes, and, and I'm underneath, and undertow, and I'm twisted around, and I got sand everywhere, and I don't know where, which way is up now, right? That pridefulness will knock us down. And Pharaoh is still exalting himself over God's people. Behold, at this time tomorrow, in verse 18, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send and get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. We're seeing more of God's mercy. He's providing a way out, shelter for those. If you fear the word of the Lord, if you believe him, you won't be struck by the hail. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. And we'll read the rest next week. Please read the rest of chapter 9. Read about the hail. Read the interaction between Pharaoh and God. Pharaoh is admitting that he's a sinner now. I've actually sinned against God. I wronged God. But then later, once the hail relents, he goes right back to the same old practice, the same old words. He won't let God's people go. And he sins again. Read it. Think about it. Study it. Pray through that. Because this is our story. right? This is for our example as much as it was for the people of Israel at that time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that you are faithful um, in speaking to your people, that we, when we come with hearts that are ready to, to listen, Lord, to hear, Father, that you speak to the depths of our soul by your Holy Spirit, Lord. You, you, you show us exactly what we needed to hear for the day. And I pray that would be true for us this morning, that we heard what we needed to hear, Lord. And that we would not be just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. That we would be obedient to what we've heard. 
We would not walk away assuming that's for someone else or maybe I'll get to that next week. This is, this is too serious to just kind of wander off and forget. Lord, Remind us, help us. We are limited in every way, Lord, but you are not. Give us the strength to live a life that is pleasing to you. Help us to be worshipful in all that we do today and throughout this week. Help us to be a light to this world that is truly in darkness. Help us to take seriously the sin of idolatry. Holy Spirit, show us the things that need to be knocked down in our life, that need to be put away. Help us to do that, Father. And not just because we're following a, a, a checklist or a list of rules, Lord, because we want to know you more. We want to be closer to you. We want to have relationship with you, Lord. We want our Christianity to mean something and to matter and her life to be purposeful. And we can only do that when it's found in Christ. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.